Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Look, we bring you good news from the churches. A remnant church is rapidly advancing. Come on. And they just added Pastor Landon Ray to their staff. Hallelujah. The men in Denton are studying to show themselves approved. And the hand of Adonai is being clearly seen in all of their activities. The Arising Church is joining us in the global initiative to advance the gospel. Come on. You talk about exciting things. What begins in the Balkans is going to go around the world. Cherished saints at the Arising Church are currently selling their homes and donating the money so that they might be able to establish a team in Italy that is intended to work hand-in-hand hand with a team that we will send from here to Romania, and they will be one Balkans team. Guys, we're seeing the beginning of the One Association Europe right now. Come on. Somebody say that's not all. That's not all! Pastor Matthew is currently at Submission Ministries, strengthening and being strengthened by the team that is there. Look, saints, we are living in a time of greater corporate unity and power than I have ever seen in my life up to this very point. At this very moment, King's Harvest Church is steadily progressing in the development of the next generation of leaders. Sagi in Indonesia is about to see Brenton Vincent and Uli married. Come on! For the purpose of continuing generational ministry. Ehad in Peru is continuing to expand. And David and Julia, they're being formed into tomorrow's ministers. Is that good news? That's not all! The brothers in Romania have been faithful to meet with us consistently. They're working at forming their team there and their own marriages in a way that will bring the gospel all the way back to Jerusalem. Love and Care Ministries in India is working hard to model their discipleship after the Talmudim process. Young Jacob Israel is currently walking with Jesus on his new prosthetic leg. That's because of the faithfulness and generosity of the congregations of the One Association. Saints, we don't even have time to tell you about the anointing and the rapid progress of Refuge City Ministries in Elger. My father came back testifying to me about the quality of this generation of ministers and how we are raising up the finest men in an entire century to advance the gospel domestically and into the Middle East until we reach the ultimate goal of Jerusalem, Treaster. We don't have time to cover the amazing things that are happening there because they are. Because we have a mission this morning. Yes. We have somewhere that we are going this morning. And it begins with a dramatic collision with the word of God. So we're going to hop into Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 together. Do you want a dramatic collision. There's a lot of faces in here that I don't recognize. And I want to warn you, when you walked in those doors, 
You were asking for a dramatic collision with God, whether you knew it or not. And if you have the courage to leave in the middle, I will have the courage to point you out. We have you for the next how many ever minutes, and we intend to have a confrontation with the Word of God. Amen. Somebody say there if you're in Deuteronomy 32. The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. Can somebody say amen in the house of God? Look, no sincere Christian would ever question the veracity of this proclamation. We all know that Adonai's ways are justice. We all know that he is the perfect display of faithfulness. We all know that he is without iniquity. I mean, he is just in what he is, what uprightness is. But do we really know and understand all his ways? Definitely not. The truth is that each of us, we have a varying degree of understanding when it comes to the characteristics and attributes of God. We'll tend to emphasize and grasp a few of his ways. We'll tend to love a few of his ways. The issue at hand this morning is that we cannot modify or reduce or simplify Adonai down to a few characteristics that we enjoy or we are distorting the very image of our father that each of us was meant to show the world. You know, I've been married to that sexy grandma on the front row for just a little over 30 years. <laughs> and if I reduced her to two or three traits that I like, like, oh, if I only said to JJ, hey man, you should meet my wife. She's loving and she's forgiving. That actually says more about me than it says her, doesn't it? It says more about what I value in her than it says about her character. That's what's at stake today. Wouldn't you think it was strange if somebody had been married for five decades and all they described their wife as is forgiving? In fact, the first thing you would probably think is, God, I'm talking to an adulterer. Yeah, let's let this set in for you. It turns out that the greatest form of idolatry that the world has ever seen, well, it's not the worship of Molech. It is our own tendency to reformat God into the image that we like the most and are most comfortable with. We tend to do this by reducing him to the attributes that we understand and that we like, uh -huh. while at the same time, completely ignoring the characteristics that we're uncomfortable with and don't like. Put simply, this distortion of God's image is worse than making your own golden calf. Yeah. See, the golden calf is an obvious distortion. The kind of distortion that we're talking about is only seeing the Lord as compassionate or only seeing the Lord as forgiving. Or only seeing the Lord as patient. Now we can all acknowledge that each of those things are true. But it is not the only thing that is true about our God. The reason that we emphasize these things over every other true things 
is they are the only attributes you want in the false god that you were making. This is tantamount to reformatting Adonai into the image that we made rather than the image of who he says he actually is. So we're going to continue in Moses' train of thought with verse 5. We told you this would be a collision course. Did you come here to hear that you're a champion? And if you just throw some change in a plate, you'll have the best life you can possibly have. If that's what you wanted, go home and listen to Oprah Winfrey. We are going to confront you with the word of God. So verse 5 is speaking of the people of Israel in light of this perfect and upright God. It says, they have dealt corruptly with him. Well, how have they done this? They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Thanks. Do you see the indictment? The people of God are not bearing the true image and name of Adonai. They have twisted. They have twisted in their generation the representation of him. The very people meant to represent the fullness of God's image to the world at large. Twisted that image because of their own sinful longings and exchanged the true image of God for one that was more acceptable to their own liking. So let me ask you a few questions this morning as we're getting into this text. Do you prefer to view Jesus as the one who struck Ananias and Sapphira dead in Acts 5? Or as the one who forgave the adulterous woman in John 8? So Spencer is an honest man. You, you'll hear a thousand sermons on John 8. The only time you hear about Acts 5 is when some pimp pastor is trying to increase his offerings. But it's the same God who did both things. Let's do another one. Do you prefer to view Jesus as the one who throws a woman onto a bed of suffering and threatens to strike her children dead in Revelation 2, or as the one who heals Peter's mother-in-law in Mark 1? You're getting our picture here. Let's do one more. Do you prefer to view Jesus as the one with the whip in his hand in John 2, or the one saying, come unto me, Oh, you heavy laden and Matthew 11. Look, I've been in many of your homes. I've seen Matthew 11 on walls. You know, he, he will lighten your burden. His yoke is easy. I've never seen a moniker on somebody's wall that says the whip is in his hand and he will clear this temple. Nor in any of the paintings of Jesus that have been produced for thousands of years. You see how we're crafting an image that is incomplete? The reason that we're asking you this question is because he, being Jesus, did all of those things. If we bear only the image we like, and then we discard the image that we don't understand, then we are remaking Adonai into the image we prefer, rather than the image that we are to bear that is his actual image. Saints, hear me. This is the highest form of a Christian's idolatry and it has profound importance to how you represent him in your home and in the world at large since i can see we have your attention i want to remind you that moses wrote verse six and i didn't write it it's not my sermon notes this is moses 
Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? He apparently wasn't trying to increase his tithe or the size of his congregation. Is not he your father who created you, who made you, and established you? It turns out that Moses asked us two very important questions. The first question I'll rephrase slightly just so that it's easier for us to get. Moses is effectively saying, is this the kind of selective representation of Adonai? Is that appropriate in your way to repay the Lord? And then he suggests an answer for him. You foolish and senseless people. The second question could be rephrased like this. Is Adonai not the author of your very existence who created and fashioned you to bear his image as a son bears the image of his father? See, you already know the answer to both questions. It is foolish and senseless to participate in the idolatrous work of emphasizing what you find edifying about God and at the very same time de-emphasizing what you do not understand or more to the point, do not like about God. Come on. This would make you a blatant idolater. It would make you the kind of person that Jeremiah 10.8 rebukes for being taught by a worthless idol that he made with his own hands. It turns out that each of us was created and fashioned by our Father to bear his actual image to the whole world. None of us, somebody say none, none, none of us has been called to modify that image into a more acceptable or preferable form. This brings us to an astounding realization that we need to know our Father better than we currently do. Amen. We live in a time when all preaching and all teaching is aimed at how to better your lives. Guys, that needs to be adjusted. That approach needs to be adjusted. There is only one thing that we need to know and understand better, and that is the character and attributes of our Father. Amen. Is it that we don't want to live better lives? No, that's not it. It's that the truth is the only way we will ever bear His image appropriately is to know Him better, and that results in living in a better life. When I say better life, you need to think of better life from heaven's perspective, not an earthly perspective. So we told you this morning would be a collision course with God. Do you feel confronted yet? Oh, I don't think we got them all. Do you feel confronted yet? There's still time. We're going to start this morning in a position that God is able to bless. Each of you in this room. You must come to the place of humility that acknowledges and comes to grips with the fact that you often distort the image of God, whether you knew you were doing it or not. This will position us to cry out for a better understanding of him as he actually is. He will then hear you. Somebody say, he'll hear me. He'll hear me. He will then reveal himself to you. Reveal. Somebody say, he'll reveal himself. He'll reveal himself. 
to me. We're going to do that so that we can carry out his true image, his true image in your own life, his true image in your home, and his true image to the world, rather than an idolatrous version that we made ourselves. So men of God, stand for a moment. Yeah, let's get on our feet. We're going to begin to pray and ask that Adonai would reveal himself to us, that he would cause us to understand his character. We are going to intercede with the Almighty King and ask that something of him might be open to us today. Father, we thank you for this house. Lord, for the men and women that you have drawn in here by your divine sovereignty. We say this morning, we don't want you as you have been presented by men. We want you as you actually are in the full majesty of your name, mighty one. We're asking that you would strip away the cute sayings that we've adopted, the things we were told in Sunday school that are misrepresentation of you, that you would open the eyes of our heart to understand the full manifestation of your character as you actually are today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We wanted to begin our service in an unorthodox way that is perfectly biblically orthodox so that you would not just sit and listen to us. We want you to engage. And I don't mean that you give us amens. I mean that you actually engage with how you understand the image of our God and come to grips with the actual fact and humility that you twist the image of God into what you want him to be for you. And it's just as insulting as if a young groom only described two physical attributes that he liked about a bride. And anytime you asked about her, he said, oh yeah, man, I see her as this and this. What about the complexity of the woman? What about the whole representation of the woman? And do you really love her if you only love two things? about her. Yeah. See, all of the women got that. You men, I'm praying for revelation. Let's start in Psalm 37. I'm going to begin in verse 23. The steps of a man, and in the Hebrew, that's a valiant man. The steps of a valiant man, a gabor, are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Each of us is guilty of falling headlong into the sin of reshaping the image of our Father into one that is more comfortable or preferable to us. Come on. However, we are going to turn. We are going to delight in his actual way, the yes. actual image. And he has promised that he will hold our hand and establish his image in us. Do you want that? Let's take Psalm 25, verse 9. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love yes. and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Saints, for us to embark on this collision course with Adonai, it will require us to be humble and to stop the temptation that is in us all to mentally twist every passage into a sociably acceptable conclusion. Saints, he will lead us. And what he reveals to us is loving and faithful. This is true even and especially when 
It contradicts our long-held and idolatrous understandings of who God is. Just so that you didn't miss any of that. Judah said it perfectly, but I'm not sure you understood it perfectly. What we're talking about is as you hear something that challenges your traditional view, immediately inside of your heart and mind, you reshape what you just heard into your traditional view. We're going to present you with some scenarios today that you're going to be tempted to do that. And we want to encourage you that it's your view that's wrong, not the scripture. Amen. Look, this season in our lives, I mean all of our lives, is marked by an idolatrous, impotent, ineffective church environment. I mean, it's overrun with sin everywhere. Our nation is actually being led by a kind of weekend at Bernie's presidency. I mean, they have literally propped up a guy that is dead and pretended that he is alive. But that's exactly what the American pastorate looks like. And most American Christians look like. In fact, the voices that are actually echoing some level of truth, they've not been found in our pulpits. They've come from courageous and corrupt comedians. They've come from conservative political commentators. There are occasions even when there are social influencers that are starting to speak truth and ask right questions. Don't get me wrong. These people are not appropriately representing Adonai. But they're at least courageous enough to start to challenge the drift in the world that we see around us. Yeah. You know, one of those courageous questions was, what is a woman? I would never think that you would have to ask that question. But we live in a time where sincere people, some even biologists, don't seem to know what a woman is. Of course, the fact that the people displaying the courage to ask these questions happen to be lukewarm Catholics, well, that's an indictment against the American, American pulpit and American Christian congregation. That's true. Today, we want to ask a far better question. Come on. I mean, I like the one Matt Walsh proposed, what is a woman? But we have a better one. In fact, if you learn to answer our question, then you will be provided with every important answer to all of the questions of our time. It's 22 minutes into the message, Judah, and we forgot to give the title. The title comes from the question that we want to put before you. And it is the quintessential question of our time. Are you ready for it? What is a man? This message today is going to begin a three-sermon series aimed at helping us to better represent the actual image of God in our lives, our homes, and in the nations. We're taking three weeks to do this so that we have time to more fully explore the character and attributes of God Almighty that we are to image as his people. Since this whole problem began by weak men or weak males giving weak reductive summaries of Adonai, we want to embrace the full majesty of all that Adonai is. Yes. And saints, that we are to do over a lifetime. Saints, this is the study of a lifetime and it should take your whole lifetime to do. Today, today, all we are attempting to do is to begin the process in three areas. Number one, his image in you personally. Number two, 
his image in your home. And then three, your representation of his image in the nations. To start this process, we need to acknowledge a foundational truth. Answering the question, what is a man, begins with the primary purpose of a man's creation. So we'll take that next slide, sound booth. What is a man? A man is to bear the full image of God in all of his complexity. Yes. You can see Genesis 1.26 says that here. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So as a man, you were created and fashioned by God to bear his image and his rule. A male who does not bear the image of God in all of his complexity, or who does not rule as Adonai does, he is not a man. Biblical men are rulers who reflect the actual image of God in all of their decisions, because that is what they were created to be and to do on the earth. So we're going to take a minute now. We're going to engage with the passage today and look at the basis for ruling in the image of Adonai. Let's go to Titus 2. And when you guys get to Titus 2, 11, say image of God. It seems that we've slapped you in the face with the truth that you're already numb. And we don't want you to be numb today. We want you to engage with this because we're going to win and we're going to do it together. Come on. And if you're a female sitting here and you're like, eh, great, the sermon's about masculinity. No, the sermon's about the image of God that your husband's to bear and you are to reflect. This will fix everything in your life. If we understand our Lord well enough to image him appropriately, you're going to find out it fixes everything. Are you in Titus 2.11? Yes. Then what were you supposed to say when you got there? Image, yes. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The very first concept that we must implement because it is a principal characteristic of our father is the ability to say no. Men say no because Adonai says no. The ability to say no is effectively to set a boundary on something. Come on. Consider this from the days of creation. I'm going to rifle through them quickly. In day one, the Lord set a boundary for darkness, separating it from light. In day two, the Lord set boundary for waters, separating water from water. On day three, the Lord set a boundary for the land and the water, separating the land from the water. In day four, the Lord set a boundary for the celestial lights, separating the roles and functions from one another. In day five, the Lord set a boundary for the kinds of air and sea creatures, separating their habitations and kinds from one another. In day six, the Lord set a boundary for the creatures living upon the land, separating their species and kinds from one another. 
these boundaries are an expression of Adonai's rule and order. He says no to activities that do not express his will and his desire because he wants life to abound. Sometime read Job and you will see him rebuking the sea and saying you may not move further this way. He sets boundaries by saying no. Every person in this room came into this world naturally Come on. expressing the word no. It's an innate ability. Unfortunately, it is primarily an expression of your sinful nature, which is why when you get born again, many of you lost the ability to say no. You associated only with bad things and you want to be yes males. Little Johnny, did you fill your diaper? No. Yeah, see, y'all can relate to that. You've all heard it. This church is overrun with children. Uh -huh. Little Susie, do you want to share your ice cream with your sister? No. Isn't she a little angel? Sounds like a little demon, you know. <laughs> little Juan, did you hit your brother Raphael? No. Juan is more masculine. Yeah. <laughs> little Raphael, did you provoke your brother to cause him to do that? No. <laughs> These are not only expressions of deceit. They're our own sinful attempt to set boundaries that permit behavior that does not image Adonai appropriately. So we don't have a problem setting boundaries. We're just not setting them in the right places. So the grace or empowerment of Adonai appears that teaches all real men to learn to say no. Or set appropriate boundaries that promote the will and life of God in the creation. I don't think you fully grasped what he described out of the creation earlier. The very existence that we live. The fact that our earth continues to support life as it does. Hinges upon God's ability to set boundaries and speak to the creation. No, this will go no further. This is your place and this is your order. Very succinctly. Your entire life and existence hinges on Adonai's ability to order the earth and say no to that which crosses or wants to mess with his order. You are to be in his image. Adonai in his sovereign kingship says no to any and all behaviors or activities that are not conducive to the life that his kingship is intended to bring about. Since men... Is there any men in this room? Yeah. Are there men here? Let us hear your war cry. Yeah. Somebody say, I'm a, man. I'm a man. Since men are rulers and kings under his kingship, the very first area, like we're talking about the days of creation, the beginning of the book, the first area that they must learn by the grace of God to say no and set boundaries is within themselves. A real man says no to anything in his own worldly passions. Anything ungodliness inside of him, he must say no to. Saints, if you cannot do that in yourself, if you cannot order your own life in image of him, then it doesn't matter if you're male, you're not a man. Saints, he is not promoting the image of Adonai if you cannot order yourself. 
You're instead propagating a false or idolatrous image. Remember, when men accept things that don't image Adonai properly, then all of those under that man's rule will be led to view Adonai as accepting those same things. This is the beginning of twisting the image of God into an idolatrous image and is what Moses was addressing. It's not the entire book of Malachi. Yes. I mean, like from beginning yes. to end. Yes. Dedicated to correcting the priesthood or the men who represent God for accepting what God will not accept. We are the representation of God on earth, whether we are a good representation or not. Saints, if we want to be real men, we must learn to say no, to set real boundaries, starting with ourselves, so that we can live in the image and kingship of God and extend his image, his rule through ourselves. Amen. Are any of you in this room old enough to remember Nancy Reagan? Yeah, just say no. Or those commercials where the dad walks in and he's like, are these your drugs? Where did you learn to do this? I learned it from watching you, dad. The image of God that a male is to bear is to bring order to his home. And you do bear an image. But if it is an idolatrous one, and let's be honest, many times it is. You are teaching everybody under your rule to view God and God's order in that way. Men must learn to say no. All of us are comfortable with the forgiveness and compassion of God. Mm -hmm. But many males hearing this right now have shown no real grace in their own lives to say no to themselves. Since they cannot say no to themselves, those weak males are uncomfortable saying no to anyone under their rulership. The result of this behavior is that they only talk about the love and the forgiveness of God. And they fail to set any real boundary on the behavior of themselves and those that are under their rulership. This is a distortion of the image of God who in Deuteronomy 32, 39 says, See now, I, even I, am he. Yeah. There is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. The fact is that males who are either so compromised that they feel as if they've lost the moral authority to lead. Or they just so misunderstand God that they act as if he does not set firm boundaries with penalties. Well those are not biblical men imaging their father. Men say no in order to set boundaries that promote life because that is exactly what Adonai does. If we do not learn to say no, that is not permitted here because God will not permit it. And by the way, I am his representative. Then we are twisting the image of God into an idolatrous and universalist depiction Come on. that so loves everyone that God permits anything. Tell me that is not happening all around us. And it is happening in you. It's happening in your parenting. It's happening in your husbandry. It's happening in your own life. And the answer to it is to renew the image of God and actually bear that image. I want you to know that the universalist, all-loving kind of idea about God that everybody is in love with is not true. No. Leviticus 11.45 
God says this, For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Come on. He commands it. Holiness in this sense is a set apart in a unique way. You must be entirely different because you're mine. Leviticus 20 verse 7 says it like this. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am the Lord your God. So listen to me men in this room. Our God is holy and he requires you to bear his image which means you must be holy. This means that you must learn to say no to your desires or activities that are outside of his image. Yes. But more to the point with the men in this room. Many of you already have that down, although some of you are still teenagers decades into your life. The bigger point in this room is as rulers, men as rulers, you were put here to extend his kingship. You must learn to say no to the behavior of others who are exhibiting sinful practices that do not promote his life and rule. A man has to say no to those under his care the same way God says no to those who are under his care. Some of you are so gentle. You, you view Jesus in such a gentle and compassionate way that you have forgotten the image of your father's firm boundaries. This is just as idolatrous as pretending that your father has no boundaries. Men in this room must learn to say no to their wife, no to their children, no to their neighbor that has come into their yard and is not a good influence in their life. Men have to learn to set godly boundaries. While we're on that subject, some of you males believe that your job is to make your wife and children happy. Happy wife, happy life! When in fact your job is to make them holy. Yes! yes. Bearing the image of Adonai. Saints, we're going to address one of two problems that exist within this body. That are a part of addressing the problem that we have in imaging him. You're either so compromised that you feel you do not have the authority. Since you yourself do not bear his image very well. That compromise causes you to shrink back rather than rising in the leadership that you should have. Put boundaries on yourself. Start there and rise. Now, if you're not so compromised as to feel that you have no authority, it also may be that your image, your view of Adonai is so idolatrous that you would like to believe that he will accept anything because you will accept anything. See, the ability to say no to things outside of his image is the beginning. It is what all of created life and order hinges upon because nothing but destruction is reaped without those boundaries. Saints, I'd like to give you an example. If you walked into Nick Aragina's house. Oh yeah, Pastor Nick. And you found him praying and meditating on the character of God as you would typically. And then you observed him instructing his wife and children in correction of things that do not reflect him or the image of God. Well, how likely would you be to suggest to that family 
that they sit down and watch a sensual movie with you? Not very likely. When you see a house that has real boundaries, has order, has correction, you're not very likely to want to interject something that is out of order. This is because Nick is a man who knows how to say no. That is not permitted here, not in this house. Nick says no to himself. Nick says no to his wife. Nick says no to his children. And no to anyone who enters his home. This right order promotes the life and image of God that we are meant to propagate as the people of God. Now I want you to contrast that with walking into my home. Imagine, consider, that one of my sons is on a computer alone in his room doing God knows what. What are you doing in there? My homework! She's beautiful! <laughs> my wife is sitting over in a corner reading a romance novel, which is code for women's porn. And I'm engrossed in football, watching it. And I have particular attention being paid to the cheerleaders, although that's not what I would say if you asked me. If you walked into my house and saw my son doing that, saw my wife reading that book, saw me glued to the television, well, how likely would you be to suggest that we watch a central movie if my house was in that order? Far more likely. You see, when firm boundaries are in place in the family of God, it pushes out against all corrupting influences. But when you have the inability to say no when things are out of order, well, additional things that are out of order seek to creep into your home. The beginning of imaging God is learning to say no to anything that is outside of his image and the smallest of areas. You must learn to say no to yourself first. Men, where does it start? With yourself. You must learn to say no to your family. Yes. And then you must learn to say no to the world around you and all corrupting outside influences. Saints, God has no problem saying no. In fact, it's why the earth continues to exist. So you, man of God, you, people of God, must have no problem saying no if you want to bear his image. Do you want to bear his image? Yes. Then when we're answering the question, what is a man, which is right here, a man is empowered to say no. He's not learning to do it anymore. He is empowered to do it. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, the grace, the empowerment of God, teaches us to say no. We're going to move on to our next facet of imaging the Lord appropriately. But before we do, I just want to relate a few things that I've gleaned from traveling to 49 countries and preaching in them. Come on. When you get to the garbage dump of Mexico, or you get to a slum in Nairobi, Africa, there's trash everywhere. This makes you far more likely to throw your own trash on the ground. Wow. Yes. This is because where a behavior is permitted, it is then promulgated. However, when you visit Singapore, there is no trash on the ground because there are men there in that society and they have set a firm boundary. If you actually throw your gum on the ground in Singapore, every man who sees it will tell you, no, that is not permitted here. Moreover, they may cane you publicly for doing it. 
What men do and do not accept is the basis for all society. Yes. And the way to build God's society is to base every decision on what he does and does not accept. You all following me? Mm -hmm. Do you have time for one more societal example? I'm not boring you, am I? Judah and I were in an elephant preserve deep in the jungles of southern India. Mm -hmm. We witnessed a young male elephant destroy a vehicle right in front of our eyes. It was an awesome and terrifying experience. Later in the day, still fresh from that traumatic experience, we learned that a band of immature male elephants destroyed an entire village. They literally walked through it, knocking down every house and destroying every structure because they could. This is a real problem for the peaceful and passive Indian people. Mm -hmm. They're not Texans. They don't carry guns. No. They rarely shoot animals. I mean, it takes an extraordinary event and a government, governmental official to do that. So we asked Raja, Raja who's standing in the presence of God today. Amen. We asked Raja, what do, what do y'all do? Like we notice your villages are getting stomped on. Yeah, and you seem defenseless. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a problem. What are you doing about these renegade and juvenile males? His response was beautiful. He said that they would bring in a fully mature and domesticated group of male elephants, bull elephants. And the mature bull elephants would not permit the behavior of the juveniles, and they would bring order to the situation. Next time you guys are... Reflecting on the disciplinary measures in Matthew 18, like you read Matthew 18, I hope you'll notice that the only form of corporal discipline that the church actually holds is we refuse to permit that behavior here. Mm -hmm. It is the beginning of imaging God. We accept what he accepts. We do not accept what he will not accept. And that is why you don't see very much church discipline in the world. They accept everything. Yes. And you see it is not compassionate to say no. And you're going to have to change that. The beginning of imaging the character and attributes of our father is the empowerment to say no. I will not permit that within my sphere of influence. This is the beginning of imaging your father. But it is not the end of imaging your father. It is only the beginning. Amen. Somebody say there's more. Let's move to our next facet of learning. What is a man? A man learns to say yes. Titus 2, 14 through 15. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. We began describing a man as someone who's empowered to say no. This is because we are fallen creatures in a world that has been overcome by entropy. The reason that we say no is to institute boundaries and to stop the advancement of things that are contrary to the image and kingdom of God. However, the point of being a man in God's image is to be zealously empowered to say Yes to righteous works. In the coming weeks, we will be examining the character and attributes of God. 
that we as men of God must image so that we can be truly zealous for the righteous works of God. We can't tell you just how important it will be for you to wrap your mind, your will, your thoughts to comprehend the complexity and beauty of the divine image. For now, let me just work through a few of the names of God and how they relate to the righteous works that you were empowered to say yes to. Let's put that on the screen. The image of God. Just to take a few of these. El Shaddai, meaning the God who is more than enough. When you put this in context, he is the God who is more than enough to supply you in righteous, zealous deeds on his behalf. El Elyon, the most high God. Meaning he is the arbitrator of all that is right. He is above all other thought. He is the definition of morality and he's the one who will direct your steps. Yes. El Olam, the ever everlasting God. Meaning the God who was before you and will continue into all eternity. Saints, that is the God who is recording our deeds into eternity as Revelation says. El Roy, the God who sees, the one who sees you, not only in a church service, but the God who sees you while you're out doing the will of God. Saints, Yahweh Yireh, the Lord will provide, taken from Genesis 22. Saints, that name is birthed out of the struggle, the faith to do what God has asked, even when it looked impossible, like it wouldn't turn out good. Saints, when you think about the God who will provide for you in the midst of your zealous deeds, that is who he is. Yahweh Nisi, this is taken from Exodus 17, and it was birthed in a battle. It means the Lord is my banner. As Joshua is zealous and fighting for the very will of God, this name appeared showing he was the banner over those who would step out onto the battlefield. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is my peace. Or as you know better, the Lord is my shalom, right order with God and man. This is taken from Judges 6. Once again, it's in the heat of combat. It is in the middle of men who are zealous for good works. He will give you right order. Yahweh Sabaot, a favorite of many in the room. It means that the Lord of hosts, the commander of the heavenly armies, the one who directs his servants of fire and directs his servants on the earth. He will move those armies according to his will, along with the man of God, who will obey his will. Yahweh Makadeshim, the Lord who satisfies you. He's able to satisfy you in every way. Yes, nothing is more satisfying than being a man who images God. Saints, in the Hebrew mind, this is not all spiritual. He's able to satisfy your spirit. He's able to satisfy your body because your spirit and your body are dedicated to imaging him and zealously doing his will. Then Yahweh wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, taken from the famous Psalm 23. Saints, when you think of the Lord as your shepherd, you need to envision the one who leads you into the valley of the shadow of death and back out of it. We serve a shepherd who does not let you just stay in the sheep pen, but leads you to set a table in the presence of enemies. Yahweh Tzidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. We've learned about this in Jeremiah and in Acts, meaning the one who is righteous. Where all righteousness stems from and all of your righteous works are derived by. Moving to Yahweh Shammah, the Lord is there. Where is there? There is wherever he has told you to be in obedience to his will. 
As we continued Yahweh, Elohim, Israel, the Lord, the God of Israel, as Isaiah declares once again. Meaning the God who will bring about his promises for his people. Who will position them, refine them, perfect them until they are in the place he has called them to be. And we have been grafted into those same promises. Look at these last three with me. 14, 15, and 16. God is a warrior, according to Zephaniah 3.17. He is a warrior in your midst as you are doing his will. Jeremiah even declared this and said, the Lord is with me. Like a mighty warrior, I cannot keep silent. God is a judge, meaning he is the final arbitrator of your deeds, of your actions. And he is the one who has decided what your zealous good works are. Then, possibly the most important of them all. God is king. Psalm 74 declares this clearly. Saints, the term, the Lord of my life seems to have just had so much semantic drift that no one understands it anymore. The state puffed marshmallow man of my life. He's Lord and I do whatever I want to do. But you know what a king is. A king orders the placement of every individual in the kingdom. He defines their function. He defines their roles. Whether it's a soldier or it's a baker, they're both coming from his hand. Your God is king and he defines your purpose, your work, and your placement. Did we get your attention? Then let's move forward. All Christians begin their walk. By learning to say no. But the ultimate aim is to be empowered to say yes to what the Father is doing. The beginning of imaging Adonai as a man is to be able to say no and set a boundary against every deviation from his will that would threaten your application of his reign through you or those that are under your care. That's why we set boundaries. Does that make sense to you? However, these boundaries are there to provide a setting to be empowered to say yes. You're saying yes to the life-giving works that he wants done through you in the creation. We set boundaries by saying no so that we have the opportunity to say yes to his will. Any honest observation of the Gospels will reveal that Jesus said no to the Gadarean demoniac who was delivered and wanted to follow him. You can read that in Matthew 5:19. Jesus said no to his brothers in their assertion that he should go to Jerusalem aspiring to be a public figure in John 7:4 through 8. Jesus refused or said no to the request to be an arbitrator between two brothers who were fighting over an inheritance. That's Luke 12, 14. However, the hallmark of Jesus' ministry was not the no moments. Come on. In fact, those no moments were there to give way to rather courageous moments where Jesus was empowered to say yes to righteous and sacrificial deeds laid before him by his father. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Every no moment in Jesus' ministry was in the will of God. And it set an appropriate boundary because of a righteous action that Jesus wanted to say yes to. Men of God set boundaries against things that often don't seem overtly evil. But they happen to be out of the will of God. 
we do this precisely so that we may have the freedom to say yes to the righteous works prepared in advance for us to do. Come on. The heart of these two very basic, I mean elementary, functions is to image Adonai and his will appropriately. He is our king, and he has the right to refuse or request our every action. We also, as men, have a responsibility to refuse what God refuses and be zealous for what he has ordained. This is true of us personally, and it's true of those under our care. Come on. Unfortunately, many males want to be liked so badly that they only aspire to be yes men. But it's not really the will of God that they're saying yes to. See, they're weak men that lack the ability to say no to suggested behavior that is outside the will of God. Consequently, they have no real discernment about the proper things to say yes to that are in the will of God. Yeah, did y'all catch that? These kind of males, they're easy to identify. They seek to find a balance in all they do. Compromise. Instead of a holy zealousness for the only response that the situation requires of a man. See, these males, they're very Greek in their thought. They want just to be very rational. They just want to really have thought it out. They want to be received well by everyone. You should not be better received than God in a situation. And your job is not to have a balanced approach. It's to say yes when God says yes and no when he says no. And you as a man are supposed to know that. John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own. But only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Now is a good time to ask, do you appropriately image the father by saying no to yourself? your family, and the world around you? Do you do it anytime there's a deviation from his revealed will and character? Well, let's consider that if you don't, it's probably because you want to be well-received by them. Aren't you actually just shaping your own golden calf and teaching your family to worship it while calling it Yahweh? Yes, you are. You're no un- under no obligation to be liked by those you lead. In fact, you shouldn't be received any better by them at any point in time than they stand with God in that moment. Do you appropriately image your father by saying zealously yes to yourself, yes to your family, yes to the world around you every time you know the good that should be done and magnify the image of God on earth? Come on. See, if you're not zealous about his revealed will, It's because you rush to obey things you agree with and delay in obeying things you don't understand or like about God's character or plan. Can you see how that's no different than forming your own version of God? Just like a golden calf and yet say that you're leading your family in the worship of God? Saints, there are two things that are the preliminary answer to the question. What is a man? They're both completely dependent upon knowing the character and attributes of God 
in all of their complexity and beauty. Since a man is to bear the image of God and extend his rulership on earth, every biblical man must be first empowered in these two ways. So what is a man? A man is someone who's empowered to say no, according to Titus 2, 11 through 12. So what is a man? A man is someone who is empowered to say yes, according to Titus 2, 14 through 15. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Hear this next part. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. All let no one disregard you. Notice that Paul is reminding Titus of his own mandate to be a man that appropriately bears the image of God. As a man, Titus is not allowed to let anyone disregard this God-given mandate, not within his dominion. As a man, Titus is to declare his no and his yes with all authority. This is because Titus has authority that is derived and extends from the father that Titus is imaging as a son. Saints, does it seem contradictory to you that we're equally empowered to say no as we are empowered to say yes? This is the result of overly simplistic descriptions of God that this entire nation has grown up with. They reduce the multifaceted character and attributes of our God to bumper stickers that say things like, God is love, as love. if that is all you need to know about him. Love, love, God is love. They do this without acknowledging or comprehending that God is also full of wrath and indignation. Uh-oh. In your own time, read Isaiah 63 and Revelation 19. You'll find Jesus covered in the blood of the rebellious. So tell me, is God just love? Brothers, everybody can get behind the fact and champion 1 Timothy 2.4. And I love the passage. It says, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But very few believers seem to know their own father well enough to acknowledge that Revelation 19 records the heavenly beings in glorious jubilation over Adonai avenging the blood of his saints through the violent overthrow and destruction of Babylon. You don't ever hear that. Many of you can quote Ezekiel 18.23. It suggests that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But very few of you can enumerate why Deuteronomy 28.63 says, The Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. These are not contradictions. They point to our own lack in understanding the character and attributes of God. You formulated him as you want him to be, rather than embracing and understanding who he actually is. This is done because you want a God who forgives you no matter what you do. But the truth is, the Bible presents a far more complex view of our Father. For instance, Deuteronomy 29, 19 and Hebrews 10, 26, both present scenarios in which Adonai will never be willing to forgive a man. As in, 
ever. The only reason these things are shocking to people is that Christianity has an idolatrous view of God that has been carefully crafted to shape God into the image men desire rather than the image that he actually is. We're not going to teach on each one of those perceived contradictions because there's something that you really should be wrestling with in your own effort to better understand the character and attributes of your father whose image you should be extending into the earth. Can you understand that if we resolve all of those for you, which is easy to do because I know him, then we will be pe perpetuating the very problem we want to solve. You will have ne you just have a drop down menu list yeah. of what you think God will and won't do that you've never personally wrestled with as you know him. See, it's time to get rid of those drop down menu responses. They're actually developed from a perverse view of God rather than a true view. Do you say things like, well, God is always merciful? <laughs> or when speaking about someone else, you say, no, I know the Lord loves him no matter what he does. This denies the fact that Adonai was determined to put the sons of Eli to death. In 1 Samuel 2, 25, declares plainly he wanted to kill them. See, these, these biblical scenarios, well, there's something that the Bible is replete with. God says, no, I will not accept or permit this. And God says, yes, I will do this zealously and well. <laughs> A biblical man is one who bears the image of God and appropriately represents him at all times in every encounter. So you can't determine in advance what you know God would do. You need to know him well enough to know what he wants to do through you in that situation. Come on. And this is where the Christian culture has led so many of you astray. Well, I'm just here to serve. No, you're a man. You're here to lead. Well, I just, I just want to love them into obedience. You're actually love them into being derelict of their responsibilities because you're derelict in your own duty. Well, I just don't think God would do that. That's because you're a coward who only wants forgiveness and mercy from your God. And so that's all you want to project to people. God wants so much more than that for mankind. We're going to have to learn to image that. Look, we're about to take a turn here, but we're going to take a second to engage with what was just said. Men of this house, there are lots of guests in here. I don't know where you came from, what your family life is like, but I'm speaking to those of you who call yourself LCM. If you want to know what parts of Adonai you have clung to while ignoring the rest, Sit down with your children for a minute. Ask them what God is like because every year of their life you've been imaging him and speaking about him to them. If all they can enumerate is that he is good, that he is faithful, that he is loving, and have no concept of the impending wrath, the judgment that is not just on the lost, but the judgment that is beginning with the house of God, you know for certain, and I'm telling you, 99% of you, will know for certain after that exercise, your favorite parts of God that you've been imaging to your family are a small percentage of who he is, which in effect means you have been presenting an idolatrous calf to your family rather than Adonai as who he is. So those of you who are feeling the weight of that in this moment, that awesome responsibility of imaging God in his complexity well, 
If your desire is to do that appropriately, then we have some solutions for you and it's going to be a good day. For those of you that are not feeling this burden, well, it's undoubtedly because you don't know him well enough to even understand your responsibility. So if you feel the weight, take joy. He will help us. Yeah, we're going to get to that. How many of you would have been comfortable putting Aiken and his family to death? Yeah, not one hand went up. Look, if well, this is... No, one hand did go up because the man understands the awesome responsibility to stand with God. It just so happens his favorite thing to study is the character and name of God. That's not a coincidence. Saints, when you take these things out of stories and realize the same God who had Achan put to death, his character is something you must image. Let's take another one. How many of you would have been comfortable in Peter's role as Adonai's representative when Ananias and then subsequently Sapphira were struck dead? Again, the reason we ask is because Adonai has not changed anyway. He's the same God. The practical implications of the empowerment to say no and the empowerment to say yes will determine whether you represent God accurately to your family and the world around you. Have you accepted things that Adonai will not accept? Have you been, been anything but zealous for the things that Adonai commands and requires of men of God? No male in this room should believe that he is an actual man of God without correcting this idolatry. Each of us is going to have to cry out to the Lord for a better understanding of the character, of the attributes, of the complexity of who God is as described in his word. Saints, the word is the very basis and the place to start. But the Lord has also provided something in addition to his word to help us. We're going to read 1 John 2, 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything. How do you grasp the complexity of a God that is beyond our own mortality? Well, he gave us his very spirit and anointing. And is true and is no lie. Just as it has been taught to you, abide in him. Each of you are blessed to have teachers in your life, teammates, and even pastors, whom we are among a few of. However, nothing in your life should instruct and inform your actions more than the empowerment of the holy mixture of Adonai's characteristics that have been revealed to you and that work within you. Saints, hear me. Developing, developing, pursuing a deep and reverential love or fear of our Father well, it will give you insight into how to conduct yourself within every single sphere of human activity. To the casual observer, if you do this right, it may even begin to appear as if you just innately know what to do in every situation. It's so easy for you. But we will know better because we have pursued the presence of God together. The truth is far better than that false assumption that you hear about actual men of God. Each of you or as ordinary as any other man. You have insecurities. Yeah. You have fears. Yes. You have renegade emotions that you wish you didn't have. Definitely. However, you will be constantly instructed by the holy mixture and anointing deposited within you. You will develop a love for your king that is beyond what most men have in all of his character. And that love will move you to action 
action that will cause you to honor him by imitating him at every single opportunity, starting with yourself, moving to your family, and then in the world at large. You will be taught to image your father in all things by his anointing that abides within you. All right, let's have every room up here. Think of it as a DUI test, not that you would know what that is. All eyes right here. You got it? I'm going to know you do because your eyes aren't moving. Okay, so help me. Yeah, Cho, open them wider. I need your help. <laughs> I'm sorry, you were just in the center of the room. If you and Obizi had switched, I would have picked him. You know what the only thing in this world is that is better than being a man? Come on. Being an anointed man. To better understand this anointing, we're going to look at Exodus 30 quickly from a Hebrew perspective. So Exodus 30, in verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much. That is 250 for the mathematically challenged and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. Brothers, there are five components of the holy anointing oil that must be within you. We've taught them before, and we're reminding you of them again. The five elements are, uh, there you go, myrrh, cinnamon, fragrant cane, cassia, and olive oil. Come on. Now we're going to make a few observations about these elements of that anointing that must be within you. To start with, they are the work of a master perfumer, blending the elements in a divine way. Catch this. They are not in equal proportions to one another. There is absolutely no attempt to bring any level of perceived balance to them. They are simply the appropriate holy mixture that images your heavenly father in every situation. Now we're going to go through those five individually. When you think of myrrh. This initial element of the holy mixture is also the Hebrew word for death. Or it's at least derived from it. The word and the fragrance command seriousness. You also must be a man that commands seriousness. Matthew 2.11 records Jesus being presented with myrrh near the time of his earthly life. Its beginnings. John 19.39 through 40 records Jesus being anointed with myrrh in his death. You must be a serious man because the life and death of Messiah are to be within you at all times as you image Adonai. The holy mixture and anointing is present within the words recorded in Deuteronomy 30.15. Listen to this. See... I, and the I here speaking, is an anointed man of God named Moses. I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. 
Can you hear the yes and no in it? An anointed man displays the seriousness of the gospel that is communicated through his every action because Adonai has placed his holy mixture within that man and it is your job to pass that mixture on. Am I boring you? Okay, I saw a few yawns here. Am I boring you? Do you want a holy mixture inside of you? It is your job, man, to pass that along to your children. So if you are a man of God, you say yes and no. If you're an anointed man of God, you are able to pass on the seriousness of the gospel. And it is reflected in your wife. Come on. It is reflected in your children. You move way beyond just saying, well, I love the Lord. If your love for the Lord does not include a yes and no, and does not include a contagious overflow into your children, you don't love him half as much as you say you do. The first element is a life and death seriousness about the gospel that must be in you. Saints, by the end of this, you're going to have a new concept of what it means to be anointed. In our culture, men say all of the time, that guy's anointed, simply meaning that he has talent and he may or may not bear any of the image of God. Our second element of the anointing is cinnamon or kenna mean. The second element of the holy mixture is a compound word in Hebrew, comprised of the word for jealousy and to portion out. You must be a man that is jealous for the Lord. And one that portions out the jealousy of the Lord for his people. The Tanakh describes this attribute of Adonai no less than five times. He is a jealous God. And the Lord's own half-brother James reminds us of this aspect of God's nature in this epistle in James 4. You are to be men that are jealous for the Lord. Because you will not tolerate rivals to his affections. No other God will work. No other concept of who he is will work. Men who are jealous for his true character and approval. Your lives must reflect the holy mixture of God. As displayed in Exodus 34, 14. For you shall worship no other God. Not even a concept of your own making. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. St. Brothers, the jealousy of God must be communicated through your every action because he has placed his holy mixture and anointing within you. It is your job to portion out this aspect of his nature, starting in your own practice, moving to your home that is in your care, and then the world at large. Do you understand that the actual anointing of God will cause you to burn with a jealousy for him that tolerates no rivals? Why do you have to be so serious all the time? I don't know. I carry the life and death of Messiah around with me. Why do you have to act like everything is a life or death matter? Why do you challenge people the way you do? I am jealous for my God. Why aren't you? See... That is what the anointing produces, not the pansy pastor with the golden calf image that says, you know, God is love. No, his name is jealous and he is a kindled fire and he's loving. Yes. 
Let's talk about the third element of your anointing. It's fragrant cane. Come on. The third element of the holy mixture of the anointing is comprised of two Hebrew words, of course, meaning aromatic or fragrant cane. The most prolific use of the word for cane is that of a measuring reed in the scripture. You are to be men that love the aroma of the measuring reed of Christ. You cannot measure ministry or ministers by the standard of this world, but must measure them by the stature and measure of Christ. This means he has to be fragrant to you. Come on. Even if he is a stench to others, which will also make you a stench to others. Yes. Frequently, the prophetic works feature a heavenly figure assisting another by holding a measuring reed in their hands to evaluate a structure being built on earth for Adonai. Your lives must reflect the holy mixture of God that is displayed in Ezekiel 40 and verse 3. When he brought me there, behold, there was a man whose appearance was like bronze with a linen cord and a measuring reed in his hand. And he was standing in the gateway. Man, in this room, you must possess the measuring reed of heaven. And your every action must display this truth to those under your care. The measure is stringent, but it is also fragrant. It is stringent because you will never bring the standard down to the idolatry of the people. But it is fragrant because you will bring those under your care up to the divine standard and measure of God. That's our job as anointed men. We hope you're grasping your authority and your responsibility. Take your stand in the gateway with the actual measure of Christ. Our fourth element in the anointing and holy mixture is cassia. You can see on our slide here, the fourth element in this mixture is cassia, which is a Three Hebrew letter root, for which means to inflame, to set ablaze, to light on fire, to burn or to kindle when you remove the vowel points. Saints, you must be a man that has been set ablaze by God. And you must demand the same of everyone that you come into contact with or that is under your care. Because you have his anointing. Kindle that fire. This is because you are called to be a servant who is a flame of fire. That serves the God who is kindled in fire. Your life must reflect the holy mixture of God that Isaiah expressed in Isaiah 50. Turn your ears in as I pick up in verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you will have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Saints, Isaiah 50 displays two different types of fire. An anointed man, not just a male, but an anointed man has fire shut up in his bones from God. It is a holy mixture that drives him and lights the way, compelling him to demand that people stop wavering between two opinions. They can either be baptized in the unquenchable fires of hell or be baptized in the holy mixture of God, sharing in the fiery empowerment 
of his spirit that was given in Acts 2. The anointed man will also produce others like him. Those under his care will share in the same kindled fire. It will spread like fire does through a forest. They will produce others like him who possess the winnowing fork in their own hands. And they will be inflamed and impassioned to set people ablaze for the glory of Adonai's work on earth. An anointed man is one who is set on fire. And you can tell how genuine the anointing is by whether or not those in his household burn with the very same Amen. fire. Because that's his job to cultivate. Let's talk fifth element, olive oil. The fifth element of the holy mixture is the one that all others are suspended within. The olive oil is what provided the fuel for the lighting of the very tabernacle and temple of God, which you're supposed to be. Every attribute and element of the holy mixture is within the anointed biblical man precisely because the fuel for all of these elements is the olive oil or the Holy Spirit that men are to be filled with. He is the one that is teaching you all things. And he is the one that is prompting all of your actions. This is completely distinct from the drop-down menu of carnal and complacent Christianity. This is also completely distinct from the base and shallow tribal knowledge of biblical concepts found in almost every church circle. Jesus himself said that it is better that he go away that you might receive the Holy Spirit and have access to this kind of anointing. The truth is that the anointing was meant to answer an ancient question that still resides in the hearts of nearly all men. Come on. The question is expressed in the words of Isaiah. I'm going to read it to you from Isaiah 63, 11. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? Who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses? Who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name? The world is waiting for anointed men. The world is waiting for somebody that they can see God is with. And they have a spine and they can say no. But they also have a heart and they can say yes. Brothers, the Holy Spirit and the anointing within you should reveal the glorious arm of the Lord within every sphere of human activity. Amen. This is done by dividing the waters of judgment. In other words, by setting boundaries, by saying no to worldly and carnal things. And also saying yes to the zealous works of righteousness that Adonai desires to empower you to do. The whole world is waiting to see this question answered. Their basic question is, are there any anointed men left on the planet that will bring order to the chaos around us by standing up in the Spirit of God and saying, no! And also life and creation in order by saying, yes, we will do this regardless of the cost. The basis of an anointed man 
is to set a boundary that creates life. Saints, the very earth is yearning for the sons of God to be revealed. The days that we are living in are getting darker, and that's a good thing, because it is demanding, calling forth men of God who have the real anointing of God and know how to image their father. A sad image of him will no longer do. It will be swallowed. My friends, we are going to together cultivate a right understanding of the attributes and characteristics of our father so that we can appropriately carry his image. This is a study that should last a lifetime. These five elements of the anointing are a great attitude to start in as you trust Adonai to reveal the image that you are to carry as an anointed biblical man. Let's throw those five elements up. The anointing in you, just like myrrh, should produce a life and death seriousness because you carry both the life and death of Christ inside of you. The anointing in you, like cinnamon, should produce a righteous jealousy for God and the things of God because you serve a jealous God. The fragrant gain should produce a godly measure, a standard in your life that does not shift, that does not change, that is not subject to the times, but is subject to your king and your king alone. The cassia should produce inside of you a kindled fire that is a spreading fire, a passion and a fervor for God's will on earth that could also be described as zeal for his house, olive oil. His spirit should suspend all of these characteristics in you at once as he teaches you to know his will and to image your father. The only thing better than being a man is being an anointed man. Can, can an anointed man do two things at once? Anointed men in this room, stand to your feet and rise. Bring your family to their feet as well. Spencer, please make your way up here. Now, I said you could do two things at once, and I only asked you to do one. I asked you to stand up. Now that you've stood up, still waiting. There we go. See, I'm a man. When I speak, I expect to be heard. <laughs> Now that you've stood up, you ready for the second thing? As an anointed man, we want you to understand some things about the character of your father. We're going to whet your appetite with a few. We're going to run through these while you're on your feet. That way we know that you're awake. Because we want you to be fully awake, sober, dressed, and ready for action. These are the seven I am statements of Genesis. In other words, these are attributes that God himself says about himself. I am your shield. Guys, I want you to know that his word and his anointing will teach you to image him properly because he is shielding you for that purpose. I am the Lord who brought you out. Come on. You may not understand his image as well as you should, but you're further along than you once were. He is the God who is still bringing you out. Amen. I am the God Almighty. There is nothing that he cannot do in your life, through your life. If you want to image him better, he is able to help you. I am the God of Abraham, your father. 
The Lord has been doing this for man a long time before he started doing it in you. He did it in our fathers of the faith and he will do it in you. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Because he does it in one man, he will also do it in your children and those under your care if you stand up as an anointed man. I am the God of Bethel. This means the God of the house of God. Come on. You are the very house of God collectively. And he will, through the anointing in you and the word given to you, teach you about his character if you're an anointed man that desires to learn. I am the God, the God of your father. He can be trusted. You see what he's doing in us and we are dangerous men. There's no way. We're signs and portents that are both admired and imitated, but also spoken against almost every day of our lives. Come on. Because there is an edge to us, and we are not drop-down menu Christians. We actually embrace the fullness and complexity of the Lord, and that makes people uncomfortable. The God of your father, the same God that has seen the fathers in this room bear fruit that you're enjoying, he will craft his image in you. I am statements in Exodus is next. I am who I am. Saints, this is a testimony of the fact that he is the self-existent one. But get your head out of theology for just a moment and examine God's revelation of himself. I am who I am. I will not bend. I will not change. I will not conform to anyone else's will. This is how he revealed himself to his people before he brought them out of slavery. I am the Lord, the God of your fathers. In other words, I'm the God of every man who has had my word and my anointing in him, starting with Abraham Ford, and I have transformed and brought them all out of darkness. I am the Lord, your healer. Can I tell you that if you're going to go on the endeavor to image God appropriately, that if you have the real anointing of God in you, it will cause you to come into combat, and you will make mistakes, but he is the God who will heal you again. I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Jealous. Saints, he is jealous for every area of your thoughts. He is jealous for every area of your imaging of him. He is jealous for your family. And he's jealous for a world at large that has scarcely ever seen a man who actually accurately represents him. And I am a compassionate God. Saints, his compassion, it is for those who serve him. It is for those who have his word and are anointed by him. Those who are jealous for his own work. Saints, if you want to know the real compassion of God, you will find it in the endeavor to image him at all costs, no matter what it takes you to become like him. The I am statements in Leviticus. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. He will set you apart. He will make you unique. He will cause you to be holy. I, the Lord, am holy. He will make you what he is if you desire to be what he is and not what your own hands have crafted. Amen. 
That brings us to the I am statements and numbers. I am your portion and I am your inheritance. In other words, I am all that matters. There is nothing else that you could pursue. Nothing else in your life that is of any value. I am all the portion that you need and I will be your inheritance for an eternity. The I am statements in Deuteronomy. I am a jealous God. This means that you who are called to bear his image, anointed man, must display a holy jealousy for all that is God. You must demand no rivals in your wife, no rivals in your children, no rivals to the supremacy of God's reign through you in your house. A jealous, burning fire for the very nature of God. The last thing that God says about himself as an I am statement in the book of Deuteronomy. I am he. This is a way to say, don't you think you can warp me? Don't you think you can bend me? You can't recraft my image. I am he and there is none other. I hope today, in an hour and 36 minutes, you've been put on a collision course with some ways that you've tried to knock edges off of God's image, where you've been too passive, where you've been too aggressive, and I hope it's your desire to be an actual man of God because he will meet you in that desire. He will anoint you in that desire. He will put his holy mixture in you and it will transform the world starting with your life and then your family and then the world around you. Amen. We're going to pray for you because we want you to image God with us. Come on. We're going to stand in the gap with you but the one thing that we cannot do for you is create in you the desire to actually love the Lord's true image more than the one that you have made up in your head. Father, forgive us of our idolatry. Lord, we have not sought to know you as we should. Instead, we've comforted ourselves with things others have said about you. Lord, today we repent and we ask to know you truly. Burn your image into our soul. Lord, as we repent and you cut away the idolatry, stamp upon us your holy image. We want your anointing within us. We want to image you to the world. Father, come and move by your mighty Ruach HaKodesh. Let your spirit of holiness reign in this room now. We yield to you, mighty one. We are clay and you're the potter making us what you want.